live from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Education in Daba on the Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM Stereo. Welcome back to Education in Daba here on The Voice of the Cape 91.3 and 95.8 in the Borland. And if you have just joined us, that's Yasira and myself. We are going to be chatting uh, around the issue of the role of technology in the future of higher education. So I believe that we have Laura online. Laura, very good evening to you. Hi, it's Laura speaking. Hi, Laura. Thanks for taking out your time, particularly on a Sunday evening, to share with our listeners more about the role of technology in the future of higher education. Now, we've seen an article from the University of Leeds. It says Cape Town and Leeds universities to study the role of technology in the future of higher education. Where do you want to start this discussion? Right. Well, let me tell you a little bit about um, myself and the work that we do at the university before telling you a bit more about the project, shall I? For sure, not a problem. Okay, so um, I'm Laura Chenwich. I'm the Director of the Centre for Innovation in Learning and Teaching at the University of Cape Town. And uh, we're responsible for technology innovation, the university learning management system, staff development around technology we run postgraduate programs in uh, technology and education, and we also do research. So the research project that you will have uh, read about will have been one of our research projects. Okay. Well, thanks very much for that. So how, d- you know, this issue around the role of technology in the future of higher education, how, d- where do we start that particular discussion? That discussion. We start that discussion by looking at the challenges that higher education faces today, I think. Because we have a situation where, as I think you're well aware, there are a lot of uh, problems and challenges in higher education today. Um, Things have changed a lot over the last uh, decades. The number of students that are going into higher education has massively gone up. And yet, although it's massively gone up, there are not nearly enough places in education, in higher education. So we've seen uh, new universities opening, for example. And we've got, you know, I could could spend the whole time talking about the challenges we face. We've got uh, real differences of access by race in South Africa, and we've got differences by race of success in the system. And we've got a system that's really taking strain. And obviously one of the things that people are doing is they're looking to the possibilities of technology to open up that system, to increase access. Um, And I think that's what what we're really excited about researching and um, exploring in this research project that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And obviously when we say higher educational institutions, we really mean those uh, post-matric, for example, uh, which is your universities and your colleges and those type of things. Am I correct in that regard? You're correct. So there's certainly a lot of innovation going on with technology in schools, but that's not what I'm talking about now, so you're quite correct. No, for sure. Yasira, maybe just a quick comment or question from your side. Shukran, sure. everyone. Um, thanks for, for being online with us. So when we're looking at, you know, the research and we're looking at technology and we know this is the way that most of us are going in the country, even in, in, in primary schools and just on a personal level, 
what what do you mean by you know influence and disrupt how students are learned and how they are being taught you know at our universities what does that speak to around technology wow that's a <laughs> that's a big question um i could answer that in so many ways but let me start by talking about what we call the unbundling of teaching and learning mm-hmm. so if you think about teaching and learning and going to university and the way it traditionally works <coughs> you you arrive you pay your fees and for that you get your lectures you get your tutorials you get your content you get your tutors mm-hmm. you get your lectures you get your support you get assessment you get exams and it's all one package that's what you you're signing up for correct what happens with unbundling in higher education is that all of those different aspects the teaching the content the tutorial support the assessment the exams can all be treated separately in fact they can all be provided by different providers and those providers can even be in different places mm. and that's quite a profound shift in what becomes possible so i don't know for example whether you've heard about MOOCs no no we no. haven't okay so MOOCs are massive open online courses and what's really interesting about MOOCs is they provide a different model for teaching and learning provision so the by open this means that anyone can take a MOOC okay anyone at all you don't have to uh, write an exam you don't have to get a particular result you can sign up you can go to and there are a number of South African universities who offer MOOCs and I'm happy to talk about those but you can go to something like Class Central mm-hmm. which is as it sounds and you can find online courses that are completely free and open for you to take on just about any subject in the whole world so that's an that's a really different model yeah where you don't pay fees and you might get support from somewhere else and you might pay for a certificate if you complete but you might not you might simply audit the course and not mm. pay for a certificate at all Okay, just my attention very quickly to the SMS line. There's an SMS here from 5885. It says, Assalamu alaikum, and Ridwan. Shukran for a wonderful program. My question is regarding the safety of learners at special schools. My child attends a special school and safety is a big concern. How do I go about addressing this at WCED level? Well, I want to say a very big shukran to our listeners for their participation to the program called Education in Daba here on the Voice of the Cape. And to that particular listener, 5885, we're going to be dealing with the issue around safety just before we break for the Wakt of Maghrib. So do stay tuned to Education in Daba. We will be touching on that issue around the safety of schools. For now, we're chatting the role of technology in the future of higher education. And we are joined online by Laura. Now, Laura, you've given us a bit of background. Uh, just the research that you guys are embarking on, is it just you or is there a team of researchers uh, busy with this particular project? Yes, it's a, it's a team of researchers. And interestingly, you picked up the news from Leeds University. So there are eight people in the research team. Um, part of the research team is at the University of Cape Town and the other part of the research team is at the University of Leeds. Mm-hmm. And, and we will be exploring these new 
forms of provision, these new opportunities for uh, increasing access for a whole range of, of learners and participants throughout the world, in fact, not just in South Africa, through the possibilities of digital technologies. Mm-hmm. And I believe if I look at this, it's, 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 they're saying, look, it's, it's a way of enriching uh, the study process. That's right. And wh- what's really exciting about it, for example, is that when you have digital technologies, when you have networked computers, when you have multimedia and you have multimodal forms, you have, for example, what has become quite prevalent is videos. And you have lectures and you have lectures recorded. And um, that's enormously enriching. It also means that you can keep copies of recorded lectures and students both at your own university and elsewhere can watch them over and over again. Um, Students who find that lecturers speak too quickly or um, who are struggling with particular concepts find it incredibly valuable to watch things repeatedly. You can watch things on double time. You can watch things on half time. Um, this is this has proven to be an enormously valuable uh, teaching and learning resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, one concern that I have, I know, I'm not sure if Yashira has a question, but this is what comes to my mind, Laura. I've been to the, well, I'm going to say which university, but I did a presentation at a particular university uh, with regards to labor matters. And, and surprisingly, you know, the lecture theater, the, it wasn't that well attended. Now, with this whole movement towards technology and as you said video recordings how do you think that would impact on presence or absence of students that's a very interesting question and it's always the first question that lecturers ask and are worried about and in fact there are times where um that is the case but quite honestly that hasn't been shown to be particularly linked to Mm. the lectures being recorded or not. As you've said yourself, quite often students don't come to lectures anyway. What's been found is that students come to lectures because they're good quality, because they provide an opportunity to engage with other students, and the lecture recordings provide an uh, uh, enriching rather than replacing. So that's, that's generally not a concern to be too anxious about. Mm-hmm. Yes, Sirak, from your side. Yes, you can. Yeah. <clears throat> um, just to add on what Ridwan was saying, you know, and, and that concern I was sitting with as well, are we then replacing lecturers and how are they taking to the fact that um, I don't really need to come to class unless I'm doing a practical, you know, and, and it's part of my, my course of study, but would they feel or have you come across lecturers who are not opposed but concerned about the, the research going forth, you know, that would they be replaced? Um, I don't necessarily have to come to class. Or have they been inviting to this different kind of model where regardless whether you're in class or not, you know, the information is made available, you can still learn, lecturers can still teach in um, the absence of students, you know, sitting in a classroom in the old colonial way where I teach and you sit and then you put up your hand and ask questions. In your research, has this been one of the barriers that you've come across? You've put your finger on one of the critical issues, of course, which is how do academics and lecturers cope Mm -hmm. with change. And I think like any kind of change, people have to see the value. They have to see the value proposition and they have to see how it's going to help them. Um, What's been absolutely fascinating, and it really was very astute of you, um, is that lecturers find that 
if they make lecture recordings available, then it enables them to spend their mm. time on other types of engagement with mm. students, better types. So you were talking about the kind of broadcast model, you know, yeah. stand up and just talk to the whole class, which is not necessarily the, the best use of a lecturer's time. Mm. And in fact, they can get quite bored if they have to repeat the same lecture over and over again with very big classes. So what we're starting to see is as people realize the value of this, they reckon they can make a really excellent lecture. And uh, there's something called the flipped classroom. Yeah. So the lecturer makes the, the lecture, makes it available, and then tells the student to watch the lecture before they come to class. Mm. So it's not an idea of replacing the lecturer, and it's not an idea of replacing the class. It's rather, let's actually get that lecture out the way and let's use the time better for discussion. Mm. So the, the flipped classroom is actually proving to be a very exciting way of doing things. Of course, I suppose it's scary because it might be new and change is, is often scary for people. But from a learning and teaching point of view, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Yes, sir. No, I'm good. Shukran, Riban. Okay, now, well, uh, Laura, thanks very much for your time. Anything in conclusion that you maybe just want to share with our listeners as regards this particular topic we're on? You know, I think one of the things that is a concern for us who in, innovating in this area is that, and it's, it's, an, uh, it's something that people often ask about, is how can students in particular afford to have the devices for these kinds of technologies. So, you know, some people arrive at universities or at colleges with laptops of their own and some don't have any device at all. What we're finding is that people are increasingly um, bringing their own devices and certainly at the University of Cape Town, all students who are on um, NISFAS funding are being given devices. Mm. The, the real challenge uh, and the one that concerns me in particular is the cost of data. Mm. And, um, I mean, this is something that I would really plea, make a plea to the providers. So during the protest to the last year, the cell phone companies really came to the party and they made, uh, there was basically zero rating for educational content from universities during that period. But I would actually like to make a plea for providers and broadband providers and so on to have a zero rating for educational content because otherwise there's a real danger of a digital divide in the sense of, not in the sense of devices, but in the sense of the cost of accessing um, online content and online communities and online engagement. And that's a, that's a serious worry. Uh, but Desira, I seem to think to recall, and we're not talking about, I know he's chatting about the higher educational institutions now, but I know that WCD, for example, uh, is doing a rollout of e-learning and broadband, particularly within its high school arena. Correct, yeah. one. Yeah. And I think what is happening is, and you know, the same plea that Laurie is making is that it, it's free to the school. So that kind of access and, you know, Laurie, we're speaking about, and let's call it the old word for now, but you kind of tutorial, we can go online, look at what was it about, you know, maybe access other information regarding a certain subject or a certain lecture, um, et cetera, and so on. And we even have these kind of pilot schools, you know, in different provinces where other schools can access um 
in the afternoon one math lesson as in a, a tutor type of setup, you know, and go over the work that, that has been taught for that specific lesson in that specific week. So education as a whole is moving forward with technology and you're so correct in saying, you know, we need to embrace this moving forward because the entire world is going this way. Um, and you are right, anything that is new is quite scary. Um, where's the human contact, where's the social interaction, etc. And those are things that people probably bring up around us. But we're speaking of enriching learning. We're not speaking about replacing any kind of access or any kind of interaction with the university itself and the lecturers and other staff members. But we're looking at how do we make it more efficient? How do we roll it out systematically in such a sense where if I'm not able to attend the lecture, I still have access to education? Absolutely. And I think one of the misconceptions is that uh, online can be more alienating. Mm. People, who, people who teach very large classes often say that they find those large classes to be very alienating. Right. And there can be a real sense of engagement and community created online, which uh, is hugely advantageous to learners. Uh, Just an SMS quickly, Laura, before we wrap up, an SMS from 6945 says, it still does not replace the physical human interaction. One ploy to minimize the fees must fall. What about interaction and real critical analysis? Um, uh, The online space is not a separate space from... It's not an unreal space. It's just as real a space as the physical space. So interactions that happen online are just as real as interactions that happen in the face-to-face environment. The face-to-face environment can be very alienating. The online space can can be very community-oriented and intimate, as we have found from our research. So I think it's a false distinction to imagine that those are two different spheres. Okay, just two more comments quickly. One says, how much quality and how much quantity out of this particular process? Then it says, let us also look at some political pol- politics behind this particular process. You want to comment on those? Well, those are really important and big questions. And I would agree that the, the, the rollout of online and new players who are coming to the party is a highly political issue. It's an area where South Africa and Africa are being regarded as a global market. And there's a real danger that we won't, that we are not sufficiently taking control of the options and the opportunities, which is why I think this research project is so important. Because what we certainly don't want to see is that the middle class in South Africa is simply regarded as consumers and as uh, possible customers for online companies in other parts of the world. Rather, we want to see ourselves taking control and using the online opportunities to increase access in our own country. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, thanks very much for your time. It certainly has been an interesting discussion that we've had. We want to wish you and the team everything of the best with your research. And on that note, we say to you once again a very big thank you and a very good evening. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much.